Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, I want to welcome you to Mercy Church, and I want to go ahead and tell you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 4. I'm just going to jump right in and read Proverbs chapter 4 to you in its entirety. All right, these are God's words to you. As such, they will be the most powerful, most impactful words I say during this message So let's get right to it and let's hear from God and then we'll talk about it, all right? Here we go. Proverbs chapter four, starting in verse one. Lock in. Listen, sons, to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding for I'm giving you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was young, When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she'll watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom and whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head. She'll give you a crown of beauty. Listen, my son. Accept my words, and you'll live many years. I am teaching you the way of wisdom. I'm guiding you on straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Don't let go. Guard it, for it is your life. Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it and pass it by. For they can't sleep unless they have done what is evil. They're robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't even know what makes them stumble. So my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly. Don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. And carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. 
That's Proverbs 4, the word of the Lord. I want to tell you where we're going with Proverbs 4 today. In preaching, you're often taught to think of a sermon and to prepare a sermon like, um, like a plane flight. Like there's the takeoff, this would be the introduction, then there's the flight, it's kind of the meat content of the sermon, then there's the landing, right? That's the, the conclusion where you draw it all together. Well, today, I'm just going to land the plane right here at the start, all right? And then we're just going to get out of the plane and walk around on what God has for us, all right? Look, our destination today where we are landing is a way of life that Proverbs is, talk to, is talking about that's motivated by the grace of God, that is championing the glory of God through walking in the wisdom of God. Grace-motivated, God-glorifying wisdom. That's what we're after today in Proverbs 4. I mean, Proverbs 4 is this father. You you saw, just think about what, what I just read to you, read over you. It's this father putting his arm around his son saying, here is the path of life for you. I want this for you. I want you to live well. And like I said last week, this is God's letter to us. You got to hear God, your father saying, I want you to live well in the creation that I've made for you. And if you live according to my word, you will. You'll live well. You'll live full. And listen, you will get a taste, just a taste of what life is. In eternity with me will be like. But here's why I'm landing the plane, guys. True fulfillment, the, really the full life, what it means to live well, it's only found in Jesus. It's only found in him. Jesus said, John 10, 10, he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And Proverbs, especially chapter four, has got plenty of do's and don'ts, plenty of warnings and instructions, but it's possible to hear all of them and to try and just apply the do's and don'ts and the warnings and instructions and the whole time miss Jesus. And that's big today. I think you could. I think you could just say, hey man, I'm here. I want to learn from Proverbs. Give me some wisdom. I'm going to go. I'm going to try and apply that wisdom to my life. But if you do that in your own strength, you will miss God. The beginning of all wisdom, remember from last week, Proverbs 1-7, is the fear of the Lord. True life is only possible. Abundant life, full life, living well, it's only possible when you are in right relationship with God. That's why you got to see Proverbs 4 through the lens of the gospel. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Abide in me, then you'll bear fruit. Romans calls the salvation of God a gift. Ephesians is going to say, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works. And God says, today, every one of us can live well. We can have abundant life in full. We don't deserve it, but God says in Christ, we can have it today, right now. And the gospel says, the way you have that life It's not by what you do, but it's all found in what Christ has done for us. The gospel isn't what we should or shouldn't do, but what God has done. And if you come to Proverbs just looking for the do's and don'ts, you're missing the big point. You need the do's and don'ts. You need the wisdom of God, but you need to read it through the heart of God. Don't come here looking for good advice and missing Jesus, regardless of what you've done. You can have the grace of Christ today. 
That's where we are. That's our destination is the grace of Christ available to you in full. Every one of us has, we know, we got this deep sense, no matter how well we hide it, of unworthiness. We know that we've sinned. We know that we've chosen our own way over God's way. We don't measure up. We carry secret sins that nobody else knows about. And Jesus looks at us and says, I know, I know, and I love you. And I want you to look at me, listen to me, and live again. One of my favorite sermons of all time is by a guy named Thomas Chalmers called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he said, here's my paraphrase on this. He said, basically, you can preach a sermon where you tell people how futile their sin is, how it leads to death, how it will leave them empty, and they'll nod their heads in agreement. Yeah, man, that is. It's bad. It's wrong. I shouldn't do it. Yep, yep, yep. And then they'll never change. Just seeing how wrong we are doesn't change us. We change when we see that there's something better for us. And that something better is Christ. So Jesus says, look at me and live. Turn away from your sin, but turn somewhere. Turn to me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Give yourself to me and then you'll change. You'll be motivated by grace. When we see the gospel saying Jesus pours out his life so that we can truly live, when you base your life on that, you'll stop dying so much. You finally start living. And Proverbs 4 is all about that life, the path of life. If you want life, Fix your eyes on the path of life. God is leading you down in Proverbs 4 today, and that begins fixing your eyes on Jesus himself. Proverbs 4 breaks up into pretty, uh, three sections pretty cleanly. The first nine verses are about getting on the path of life. The second set are about staying on the path of life. And then the third set, we're going to just say this is the thing that will keep you from getting lost. All right, so let's look at that first section, those first nine verses on the path of life. Again, we're going today, we're going after grace-motivated, God-glorifying wisdom. After that path, here's how we get on that path. I want you to look specifically at verses three and four. He says, when I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, hear my words. Your heart must hold on to my words, keep my commands, and live. Most of the time in Proverbs, the author is just a father talking to a son. But here he's saying, hey, actually, let me bring in my father's voice in here. This is the classic, well, when I was your age, if you've ever had that line dropped at you, okay? This is that, but, but then he follows, not with what he did right when he was young, but what his father did right when he was young. Right? And Solomon realizes it's his responsibility to pass down the wisdom his dad gave him to the next generation. And I want us to consider for just a second the high value, the, the high value of the voices of those that have come before us. That's Hebrews 13, 7, if you think about it from the New Testament perspective. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. And Hebrews 13, 7, it's coming after Hebrews 11, 
which is this long list recounting God's people, their history of all these heroes. And the reason they were heroes is not because of their actions, but because of the faith that motivated their actions. It says, by faith, Abel was approved righteous by God. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham went out to the promised land. By faith, Sarah conceived in her old age. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Joseph foretold the Exodus. By faith, Moses led the Passover, the Exodus, crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Gideon. By faith, Barak. By faith, Samson. By faith, David. By faith, Samuel. And by faith, so many more. The author runs out of room. And he says, Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, because we got this great cloud of witnesses. And church, we have all of those for us, plus 2,000 years of saints who have followed Christ. Therefore, let us run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. They're all saying Jesus did not fail us, and he will not fail you. So set your heart there. Set your heart there on the only prize that cannot fail. Get wisdom. Get insight. Are you seeing the urgency with which Solomon is saying this yet? Do you have that urgency? How do you get going on the path? You trust in God, and God alone is faithful. Wisdom is supreme. Get wisdom. Whatever else you get, get understanding, verse 7 says. The NIV also offers, I think, just this fantastic insight as it paraphrases it. It says, though it costs you all you have, get wisdom. It will cost you all of your preconceived notions about life, but it'll give you life. You have a choice. All of us do. Because culture our culture we live in, just like every culture that the Bible has spoken into, which is every single one of them, we have, our culture has a different wisdom than the Bible does, a different way that it prescribes to really live. Culture is going to say, you got to be young, you got to be thin, you got to be sexually active, you got to be rich, and you got to be opinionated, right? Then if you're all those things, you'll live the good life. My question, can you name one person that has had all of those and has come out on the other side being really satisfied. I mean, just, just one. Compare that to the millions who have hurled themselves at the feet of Jesus and found life with no regret. You and I right now, here today, we got a choice between the proven way of Christ and the defunct way of our age. Whichever you choose, it will cost you all you have. Whichever one. But one will give you everything you need. That's Christ. He says, come to me and you will find true life. I think of Jim Elliott, one of those among the great cloud of witnesses who was martyred for his faith. He said, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Get wisdom, which begins with locking your heart into Christ himself. Staying on the path of life is the second section, verses 10 through 19. There's something 
Listen to me. There's something Solomon's saying to his son in this section that is so simple. It's so obvious that it can actually, we can just let our eyes, it's like we can drive right past it because it's so obvious. The decision, here's what he's saying. The decisions that you're making right now are taking you somewhere. (laughs) They're taking you down a path. That path is leading to a destination. All right, look at verses 11, 12. Uh, I'm teaching you the way of wisdom. I'm guiding you on straight paths. When you walk, this is path language. Your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Look at verse 14. Keep off the path of the wicked. I told you there's a couple of paths. Don't proceed on the way of the evil ones. At the end of chapter four, he's going to circle back to this in verse 26 and say, carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. And basically in this, he's saying, son, I want you to think about the steps you're taking because you are walking down a path and that path is leading somewhere. It doesn't matter where you want to go, right? What matters is where the path is going, (laughs) And the steps you are actually taking. If you're on that path, you will go where the path leads. I'll give you an example. Uh, one thing my family loves to do, we love to, so around Christmas time, go up to Asheville, go up to the Biltmore house and see the lights and everything at Christmas. Really cool thing. So, you know, imagine this Christmas, if we're able to, I don't know what's going to happen, but let's say we're able to, and we get all bundled up, we get all of our stuff and we make our reservations, we're ready. And we get up and we get on Highway 74 and we go east. We will not get to Asheville in two and a half hours. Look, in two and a half hours, we're going to be in eastern North Carolina in that area that's not not yet at the beach, eastern North Carolina. And I don't know if any of y'all are from rural eastern North Carolina, But it is not exactly like destination vacation zone right there, all right? Well, what if when I'm there, I pray about it? No, I'm still going to be in rural eastern North Carolina. I'm still in Swansboro, right? Because that's the path that we are on. To borrow a line from Andy Stanley, our direction, not our intention, is what determines our destination, Y'all, that makes total sense when it comes to traveling, but for some reason, we have a hard time seeing how it applies to our lives. We find, here's the proof, you find yourself saying at key moments in your life, how in the world did I get here? Well, the decisions that you made put you on a path that led you exactly where you are, but I didn't intend to end up here. Well, it doesn't really matter what your intentions were. Because direction, not intention, is what determines your destination. Let me give you some examples I see regularly as your pastor. You might say that you intend to marry a Christian and have a solid family that grows up in the church learning the ways of God, but you're dating somebody who's not a Christian. Your direction, not your intention, will determine your destination. You're not going to magically arrive at a healthy Christian family. You're going to arrive at heartache and slowly devaluing the relationship with God you were created for because that's the path you're on. Maybe it's that you want your kids, you desire, you intend for your kids to grow up close to you. You want them to remain close to you even when you're grown, but you spend 70 hours a week at work and they never see you. 
Maybe you want a close relationship with God, but you are more consumed by the approval of others and what others think about you. So you spend more time, whether it's through a screen or in person, trying to earn other people's approval of you than you do getting to know God. Maybe you want your kids to respect you and and value your input, but you're cheating on their mom. Guys, you want to be a spiritual leader, but you spend all your free time playing video games, sleeping in, you never read your Bible, and you refuse to commit to any meaningful involvement in the local church. You're on a path. You want community. You want friendships. You know you're made for it, but you keep yourself aloof. You complain about the fact that you don't have any real friends. You wait on friends to just appear in a way that suits you, and you run away from community whenever it gets a little bit uncomfortable. Your isolation is a path. It's leading to a destination. You want to be generous with your money, but you have no financial margin in your life. You don't budget your money and the credit card keeps stacking up. You want to leave a legacy of discipleship, but instead you spend all your time on golf and grandkids instead of discipling younger men and women. That path is taking you somewhere because direction, not intention, determines destination. And listen, that leads right to the last and most important thing that will keep you on this path of life so that you can arrive at your destination, at the fullness of life that God does intend for you. And listen, I I know if some of that stung, uh, we try to be equal opportunity offenders around here, okay? I'm just giving you examples, but I want you to see, especially where we're about to land right here, because we're landing back in grace-motivated, God-glorifying wisdom. Look right here in verse 23, the thing that'll keep you from getting lost, keep you on that right path. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. The thing that keeps you from getting lost is the condition of your heart. The greatest obstacle to following the path of life is a heart that desires death. It's our wrong desires that make us take wrong steps that lead us to the land of darkness. That's everywhere in here. The more you give your heart to those desires, the more, even the way Proverbs starts talking about it right here, is the more disorienting your journey will even be as it gets darker. The way of the wicked, verse 19, is like the darkest gloom. They don't even know what makes them stumble. Their desires get so disordered that according to verse 16, they they can't even sleep until they've done evil. They drink the wine of violence. They eat the bread of wickedness. This is language of being totally consumed by something. It's the end. This is the end. This is the destination of the path of the wicked. If you want something other than God and you want it so bad, what will end up happening is it'll consume you and lead to all kinds of awful decisions that then become a way of life, a way of life that you find that you can't do without in this downward spiral, and eventually you become dependent on the very thing that's destroying you. That's such, look at that, in such a stark contrast to verse 18, the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. That's where you can see and walk clearly and confidently. You see what's happening Solomon is in such a beautiful way portraying the, just the human condition. We all have desires. We're created with desire. Every religion will tell you, you got to do something with your desires, right? You can 
put them in the driver's seat and follow your heart, right? After all, today is all you have, so live it up. That's secularism, right? Or you've got, you, got, you can see desires as evil. You can suppress them so that you can achieve a state of detached enlightenment. That's many Eastern religions. The Bible says, no, 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 no. God created you with the capacity for desire. Desire is good. The problem is sin has corrupted and disordered those desires. So ultimate desire, the desire for deepest fulfillment, it no longer leads us to God as it was meant to. Instead, it leads us to these other things. And when we put that desire on those things, they consume us. These can be good things. It's be marriage, career, stuff like that. But when they grab first place in our heart, they become a source of life. Verse 23, guard your heart for it is the source of life. And when those things become the source of life, we will obsess over them. And that's what sets our steps in wrong direction. Give an example. Uh, let's, just take, let's take marriage. All right. If you obsess over marriage, either... You'll never date anybody because you're so consumed by the idea of a perfect spouse that you'll keep picking out flaws in each person you meet. Or, man, you'll date anybody. Even people no good for you because you just got to be in a relationship. For both, it's a disordered heart sabotaging your life, taking you down a wrong path. So how do you guard your heart here? Well, you open your day in the gospel and you keep it before you. If you're constantly, listen, if you're constantly aware that you are a sinner and you are constantly satisfied in a relational love supplied to you by Christ from God because of grace, you won't need dating or marriage, but you'll be able to open yourself to the possibility of marriage to a fellow sinner because love is going to guard your heart against both disappointment, if the relationship goes bad, that your life doesn't end with it, right? But it will also guard you against codependence where you put too much on that person because instead you're putting that on Christ. Listen, others do this with career, right? You work crazy hours to kill yourself so you can get ahead and be known or you refuse to take a job unless it's absolutely perfect for you. Both are trying to find identity in career, Instead, open your day in the gospel. See that your approval is in Christ alone, so you don't need to chase the praise of other people, but you also see that you were created to glorify God and you were created to work. And so you realize that you're kind of free because you're able to glorify God in most jobs. So you don't have to wait for the perfect job to get started glorifying God. Your heart will be guarded against disappointment seeping too deep, and your heart will be guarded against pride taking over. Your heart is your source of life. Whatever is in there will direct your steps, either into the path of darkness or into the light of the bright morning sun. And the path of that bright morning sun, listen, it's the path of satisfaction in Christ that motivates you to obey God with joy. Grace-motivated, God-glorifying wisdom. So how do we get our hearts right? This is why we read Proverbs through the lens of the New Testament. James chapter 4 has the simple, clear way to tell us what to do here. 
He says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. (laughs) This is Jesus. Turn away from sin, but also turn towards something. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here's the way St. Augustine um, summarized this whole idea. Like, resist evil, draw near to God. St. Augustine said, love Jesus, is my paraphrase of him, all right? Love Jesus and do whatever you want to do. I know it, I know it, it almost sounds a little cavalier, but he was banking on a love for Jesus, creating desires that'll take us down the steps of the path of life. So get to know more of Jesus. Direct your heart and attention and time to him. You will never, and here's where you start in God's word. Of course you start in God's word, because you'll never know more of God's will than you do of God's word. All right, so start in God's word. You want to know what God's will is for your life? First, let me ask you, do you know his love for you? You want to know his will for you? You want to know wisdom? First, do you know his love for you? Are you drawing near to God? Because his will flows out of his love. The Christian ethic at every turning point is a grace-motivated ethic. Remember, drawing near starts with receiving Christ, who is your life. Resting in his love, trusting him enough to walk in his ways, to follow his commands. It's trusting that he loves you and it's out of his love for you that he set up this world, that he set up this wisdom to walk in. So you're ready to say yes to him. Listen, I want you to, you know, every now and then we do this thing, we just call it soul work. It's like instead of homework, because we're all tired of working from home and all the home stuff. So instead, we just call this work on your soul that you can take and work through with the Lord. Um, I want to give you a little bit of soul work out of Proverbs 4. Um, in light of this being a week where here at our, at our church, what we're trying to do is link people up with community groups. So this is group link week for us. In light of that, I'm going to call, this soul work's going to involve a partner, all right? We'll call this the Proverbs 2 step, which I didn't get approval from anyone to call it that, okay? But this is what we're going to do. Here it is, all right? Step one, I want you to identify one specific thing in your life that you need God's wisdom for. All right, just what do you need God's wisdom for? For some of us, it's like, oh, dude, it's this thing that's been dominating my life this whole time. And it's right there. Maybe there's like seven and you just need to pick one. All right, I'm not trying to overwhelm you. All right, one thing. I want you to ask a trusted friend to help you come up with a step you can take to understand and follow God's wisdom in that thing. All right, I want you to walk through Proverbs 4. I want you to say to your friend, help me get on the path. Help me see the path of life. Help me walk on the path of life. All right, where in God's word is filled with how to walk in the path of life. This is why we're challenging everyone to read through the Proverbs, the entire Proverbs, because there's so much wisdom for every arena of life as you walk through those. So you and a friend sit down with God's word together. This is the friend, by the way, that you got to be willing to, like, for them to shoot it straight with you, all right? For them to hear into your life and to speak into your life and receive it from God's word. And let your goal be grace-motivated because of what Jesus has done for me. I am free from my sin. I'm a new creation. I have eternity with God the Father waiting on me. Grace-motivated. What he has called me to do is to glorify him in everything that I do, which I gladly do because he's given me new life. So it's grace-motivated, God-glorifying wisdom.
living well in the land God has created and set me in. Listen, I want to make sure that we start in grace. And start in grace, here's what we do as a church. Maybe you're brand new to church. Maybe you're brand new to Christianity. Jesus left us a step to take together, a meal, a practice, a sacrament called communion that we eat together as the church gathered. Because when we do, what we're remembering is that our whole lives are motivated by grace, by what God has done for us. And the meal symbolizes Christ's death on the cross as a payment for our sins. We should have been up there instead it was him. And this meal symbolizes that. So listen, we're going to take communion all together, me here and a handful of people that are here with me in this room and you there where you are. So if you need to pause this for just a second so that you can go get communion elements, I'm talking about a piece of bread. I'm talking about, uh, I've got a little bit of a wafer and some grape juice. You can have whatever symbolizes when Jesus passed out bread and wine, whatever symbolizes that best for you where you are and you're able to get it there in your home. I want you to, even if you need to pause, grab that. Now I want to lead you through taking these elements. This was the meal that Jesus gave before he went to the cross. This last meal with the disciples. He said, I want you to, when you do this, you're going to do this to remember me. He's instituting a a tangible reminder of his grace. And everyone who takes it is saying, hey, I I am reconciled to God through grace alone. That's what this symbol, I did not earn God's grace. It was given to me in the shed blood and given body of Christ. So Jesus passed around the bread. And he said, this bread represents my body that is given for you. So as often as you eat it, remember me. So church wants you to take, eat, and remember Christ. He passed around the cup. He said, this cup, this represents my blood. It was poured out for you. His blood spilled instead of mine, instead of yours. His blood spilled, cleansing this blood, cleansing our record of sin so that we might have a a new covenant with God, he said, where all you do is receive forgiveness Receive my salvation and walk in newness of life that I have made the way for you. You just walk in it. So church, I want you to to take and drink and remember Christ. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for your grace on us as we continue to look through your word and look at your wisdom for living well in your creation. God, I pray and beg you that we would do so as a celebration of grace. Thankful. Thankful for what you have done. 
thankful that you have provided your word and you have provided grace and you've provided your spirit to empower us to live well in the land you've created. We love you. We worship you, King Jesus. Amen. Amen.